In fact, I looked at them, and they looked at each other right at the start, went, shall we, shall we? Yes. Okay. <laughs> More information after the service. I enjoyed it. Thank you, Colin. Well, thank you for, for your worship leading so far. That's been really good. And wasn't that a great Bible reading from John? Um, as you were reading it, Glennis turned to me and says, Boy, something along the lines of, what, what did you say? Something along the lines of, boy, there's some really horrible stuff in this book. <laughs> it was really depressing, or something like that. And you know what? There is some horrible stuff in Habakkuk. But you know what else is that there is some amazing stuff. And, and the passage that we have before us today has got to be one of the most amazing passages in the Bible. Um, it is the passage which sparked so much. It's the passage, um, I'll tell you in a minute, that, well, I'll tell you now, why not some Jewish scholars look at the Old Testament and they go, how do we summarize the Old Testament? Oh, why not just use three words? The righteous by faith shall live. Is three words in Hebrew. And isn't it fantastic that, that you go to the New Testament and, and what does Paul say? The righteous will live by faith. And what is he? He says it again, two different places, Galatians and Romans, and then the writer to the Hebrews comes along and, and he's got a brainwave. And, and what does he say? He says, well, do you want to live? The righteous live by faith. It is by righteousness that, by faith, that the righteous live. Word order is important there. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your love. Thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, I think of yesterday's reading from Timothy. Lord, that, that if we should disown you, you would disown us. But if we are faithless, you remain faithful because you cannot disown yourself. Lord, we thank you that your faithfulness is great. Lord, ours sometimes falters, but your faithfulness is great. And Lord, we thank you that it is by faith, by trust in you, faltering as our faith often is, but faith in your faithfulness, Lord. Thank you that it is by this that all things make sense. Thank you, Lord, that it is because of your faithfulness that we have the gift of faith. Thank you, Lord, that we can trust you. Thank you that you have promised that you are our God and that you are there for us and that you are coming soon. Lord, thank you. Thank you that we have this hope as an anchor for our souls, steadfast and sure. Lord, as we come to you, we bring before you so often questions about why? Lord, why is the world the way it is? Why do we go through the things that we do? Why, why don't you just sort things out? Lord, you've got the power. And we come to you with these questions, Lord, and sometimes we, we grow impatient. And, and yet I pray that we would, we would, rest in the assurance that you are working 
Lord, thank you for the prophet Habakkuk. Lord, he is, like many of the prophets, Lord, it's not always easy to read, sometimes a bit too raw and too real and too close to the side of life that we would rather not think about. But Lord, thank you that he was a man who dared to question you and that you are the God who, who answers us. Thank you for your answer to Habakkuk. Thank you that he, your answer to him is one that was written down for us. Thank you that your answer to him is one that resonates to us. Thank you, Lord God, that your promises are sure and certain and will come to pass. Amen. You remember last week, we, we've got Habakkuk. He's a prophet. He's round about simultaneous with Jeremiah. He's there under King Jehoiachin. He's a horrible, 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 horrible king. One of the, one of the only kings, the only king in the Bible that, that is explicitly mentioned as personally killing one of the prophets, a named prophet. He, he sliced off his head with a sword. A horrible man. Here he's, Habakkuk is living in a society that is just corrupt and, and further and further, growing further and further away from God. And, and there's violence filling all the streets. And remember last week, Habakkuk said to God, God, how long will we have to put up with this? You are holy. Won't, why are you just letting it happen? Aren't you going to do something? And you remember God's astonishing answer, his surprising answer, and God's answer is often surprising, is, is actually I'm already doing something. And, and isn't that just a comfort to us when we cry out and say, how long God, why are we going through this? Why am I going through something? And God says, well actually, you know, I, I'm in control. I'm, I'm doing stuff. Um, but was, what was really surprising last week is that God said, don't worry Habakkuk, you complain about all the violence in Jerusalem, I see it, and guess what? I'm going to send an even more violent people and even more godless people against Israel and they're going to punish them and, and ultimately for deliverance. But, but I'm going to send a horrible nation against you. And we haven't read this, but read it when you get home, verses 13 to the end of chapter 1. And Habakkuk turns to God and says, What? Are you nuts, God? Not quite in those words, but... But, but the implication is, God, how on earth, you're a holy God, you're my rock, you're my salvation, you, you're there, I, I know who you are, I know that you are holy, I know that you're good, and, and wonderful, you're going to do something about the problem here, but how can a holy, good, righteous God blink and, and just look at, at this godless nation? I complain about violence and here you send more violence. What sort of a God are you, God? Look at what he says in, in chapter 1, verse 12. He says, Oh Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, we will not die or, or you shall not die. The translation's difficult there. Oh Lord, you have appointed them, the Babylonians, to execute judgment. Oh my rock, you have ordained them to punish. But here's his question. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. I know this to be true. You, you are holy. You are God. You don't look upon evil. So why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked, these Babylonians, swallow up those more righteous than themselves? What's happening, God? I'm more confused now than I was last time, says old Habakkuk. 
I'm just, by the way, isn't he so like us? He turns around and says, yeah, we're the morally righteous ones. Yeah, I've just been, I know I've just complained that we're far away from you, God, but we are so much better than them. (laughs) And he he was right. They were better than them because they, they knew something of God at least. But then they were also worse than them because they knew something of God and rejected it. Um, Paul says later on, you know what, there is no one righteous. Not one. All have turned away. And so what Habakkuk does here in in the end of chapter 1 is he starts to to just argue with God about this this contradiction as far as, as, as Habakkuk sees it. About God using wicked people to punish wickedness. Because how can a good God use wickedness? How can a good God use wickedness? His question is, how God? Why God? (laughs) That's not how I understand you to be God. How can this be God? I'm not quite sure who you are. I know who you are, but what? Does anyone here ever have any doubts about God? Okay, I'm putting up my hand. This is the holy section over here. Good, good. Well, uh, Good, good statement. Because you know what? Doubt's one of those funny words. Because we, we say doubt means that we don't believe. I, I, I think Habakkuk is a doubter here. But notice what he does first. He says, God, I know who you are. I know this. You are from everlasting. You are pure. You are holy. You are righteous. So what? Faith in two minds. This is, this is kind of Habakkuk. This is, this is uh, we've got many doubters in the Bible. We've got uh, good old, all the apostles doubted that Jesus was alive. Thomas in particular gets a bad rap, but, but all of them doubted. Let's rephrase it as questions then. Who here ever has questions about God? God, why is it happening? God, you say that you love us, but, but why, why is this happening? If you've been reading the readings in the Psalms recently, um, just the last few ones have been David going, Wow, God, you're so great. And then the next one is, What? God! That's one of the things, the problems, I think, of being a, a finite person compared to God being... God, that, that we can't understand everything, and so we know a little bit, and then, and then our little bit of knowledge causes us to look at circumstances and go, God, how does this all fit together? Which is what is, is happening with Habakkuk, and, and sometimes we, we, when we have these questions about God, maybe we can just try and ignore it, and okay, if we leave it there enough, God will sort it out, or, or maybe we'll, we'll try and rationalize it away, or, or, or maybe we'll just run away from God. Remember old Jonah? God, you are a forgiving God. 
um, but you're sending me to the Ninevites, so I'm going to run. Get away from here as fast as I can. But Habakkuk shows us a better way, I think. What Habakkuk does, he says, God, I know who you are. I'm really confused by what you're doing because the two things don't seem to match up. And, and, and I'm really confused, so what am I going to do? I'm not going to run away from you. I'm not going to ignore it. I'm not going to rationalize it. I'm going to go, and I'm going to go, and I'm going I'm to stand at my watch, and I'm going to station myself, and I'm going to be a watchman. Now, if you read through the prophets, quite a few of the prophets are identified as watchmen. Ezekiel, uh, I think it's Ezekiel, um, is told to be a, a watchman over Israel. He's to watch over the people. And, and to speak God's word to the people. But, but Habakkuk, he says, I'm really confused about God. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to climb up onto my high place. I'm going to stand there by myself. And I'm going to watch you, God. I'm going to stand and I'm going to watch. And I'm going to see how are you going to respond to this circumstance. How are you going to respond to this, this contradiction, God? Because, because ultimately, you are God and I need to understand. And so I'm going to stop. And I'm going to watch for you to answer. Isn't that a wise thing to do? Habakkuk says, I have questions about you, God. And I know that the only person who can answer those questions is you, God. So I'm going to watch and I'm going to wait for you. I will look and I will to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. What answer am I going to give to myself? What answer am I going to give to myself? I think the reason that, that Habakkuk deals with God in this way, in this confrontation to God, and says, God, this can't be, but I'm going to wait and find out. The reason is found back in chapter 1, verse 12. Um, O God, O Lord, are you not from everlasting? O my God, my Holy One, we will not die, or you will not die, you are eternal. O Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment. O Rock, you have ordained them to punish. You see, Habakkuk approaches God from a position of, You are my God, you are my Lord. You are the eternal one. You are the one who lives forever. You are the one by whom we live. You are the rock on which I planted my feet. And therefore, since I know how trustworthy you are, I will not leave this place until you answer me. Boy, doesn't that sound arrogant? Doesn't that sound horribly arrogant? I'm not going until you tell me, Lord. A bit like Moses, though, isn't it? Remember, God said to Moses, okay, Moses, let's go. Um, after the whole incident of the golden calf, and God was about to kill the people, and Moses said, no, don't do it, and God relented and changed his mind. And, and then God says, right, let's go, but ooh, you better not have me going in front of the people because I'm going to wipe them out. And, God, and Moses says, okay, God, we'll go, but we're not going unless you go with us. And God says, come on, let's go. Says, we're not going unless you go with us. Like three times, Moses says, no, Lord. We need you. It's exactly the same here. Habakkuk says, 
Lord, I, I'm not going until you speak. Remember Jacob wrestling with God. This is what Habakkuk says when, when, when the time gets difficult. Wrestle with God. Wait for God. And the amazing thing in chapter 2, verse 2, by God's graciousness, and the Lord answered me. And then the Lord replied. And doesn't just reply, he, he, he doesn't just say, right, Habakkuk, I'm going to give you an answer to your question. He says, right, Habakkuk, I'm going to give you more than you bargained for. Okay, I'm not going to answer all your questions exactly as you want them, but I'm going to give you so much more than you bargained for because my answer to you is not just for you. You're there waiting for you to understand your little complaint against me, but what I'm going to do, I'm going to tell you a vision that is not just for you, but that is for generations to come. He says, Habakkuk, this vision that I'm going to give you, write it down on, on stone tablets. Not a very common thing to do. I, I think the reference there is back to the Ten Commandments where Moses got, got the, the reference, the, the Ten Commandments, on stone tablets, a permanent memorial, a, a permanent law, a permanent covenant. And, and here, as Habakkuk writes it down, this is a permanent promise from God for all the people to see. Um, the, the, the translation of, of the verse there is quite difficult. He says, make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it, or, or so that he may run who reads it, or, or, or John's translation, so that you may, you may read it at a glance. Hebrew is a very difficult language to translate sometimes. Um, but, but, but I think what, what God is saying there is that you're to write it down. But it's not just meant to be something that you write down. It's meant to be something that you read. It's meant to be something that you not only read, but you then run with it. And actually you run with it and you tell other people. This vision... Is, is meant to change how we live our lives. It's, it's meant to be acted upon. It's not meant to just be kept hidden and secret. It's, it's meant to be broadly proclaimed and publicly shouted out and, and lived out because it's a message of hope. Um, it's very similar to Isaiah chapter 40. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall run and not grow weary. Why? Because of the vision of what God is about to do. You can run with it. God says to them, I have the answer. But Habakkuk, this, this vision that I'm giving you, it awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and it will not prove false. False. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. Says God to Habakkuk, Habakkuk, trust me on this. I'm going to show you what I'm going to do. And what I'm going to do is going to answer all your questions in the end, but, but trust me on this, it's going to come. And it might take a while and you might get, you might wonder, is it still going to come? Yes, Habakkuk. What I promise will come. It, this vision, it will not lie. It will come. It is, it is a vision of the end. It's, it's a vision ultimately of the ultimate end. It's a vision for us. This isn't just a vision for, for Habakkuk, although it, it is worked out in part for Habakkuk, but, but this vision is ultimately a vision of the end. Of the end of the great day when Jesus comes. We're looking here 
at a vision of Jesus' return. He says, you know what? It's been a while. It's been a while since Habakkuk. How many thousand years? A couple of thousand years before, before Christ and then a couple of thousand years since Christ. Boy, I wonder if the vision is still going to come true. Well, what does God say? He says, though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and it will not delay. In other words, it will come at exactly the right time when I've decided that it will come. This vision will come true and just Keep on hoping for it, Habakkuk. Keep on hoping for it, Comet Bay Baptist Church, because it is true. Peter says the same thing in 2 Peter 3.9, and the Lord is not slow in keeping His promises as some reckon slowness. He's patient with us. He doesn't want anyone to perish, but everyone to show repentance. Exactly what God says to Habakkuk. Habakkuk, I'm showing you the most amazing thing from, from that great day, but oh, hold on to it so tightly. It's coming. What does he say? He says, Habakkuk, your complaint to me has been one of why God and how God and how can you let people who are evil and baddies get away with it? And God's reply to Habakkuk is, Habakkuk, I am just. Have a look at what he says in chapter, four, uh, chapter 2, verse 4. See, he is puffed up. His desires are not upright. Indeed, wine betrays him. He is arrogant and never at rest because he is greedy as the grave and like death is never satisfied. And he gathers to himself all the nations and takes captives of all the peoples. He says, well, I know. I know what the people of this world are like. I know what the people who are not in a right relationship with me are like. You don't have to tell me, Habakkuk. I, I know that they, they're like Rice Krispies supersized. They, they're just hot air. They're puffed up. They don't have any substance. They don't have any stability. And they're just proud. And, and you know what? There is, there is nothing more fatiguing than pride. Because you have to always live and act as if you've got it all together. Even when you're going down the drain, you have to keep on living and acting like you've got it all together. I saw a TV program on, uh, on ABC last week or the week before. Um, one of those programs where they take a family and put them back into a house. This was in the 1920s. Upper class England. And this family, the previous week, they'd been living it up, all this inherited money. And this week, of course, the Great Depression happened, 1928, 1928, I think. And, and all of a sudden, they, they had all of their money taken away from them. And they had all of their wealth taken away from them. But they still had to live the upper-class lifestyle. And, and it was just horrible. You saw the whole family was, like, really suffering. And, and they say, oh, yes, we, we had the middle-class family around to lunch and and, and they were just bragging about how they have got a car and a chauffeur and all I could think of, you're drinking the last of our wine and we can't afford any more. No substance. God says, I know people who are proud. They, they think that they can't afford to fail. They're arrogant. 
They're deceived by the powers of wine or wealth, depending on your translation, verse 5. They, they're blinded to their real condition. They, they just have this lust for more and more and more and more and more. It doesn't sound like any country that I know. And God says, you know what? Not only do I know the sort of people that the Babylonians are, and I know the sort of people that all those are who don't know me. I, I know them, Habakkuk, but you know what? I'm just. And, and there will come a day when they get their comeuppance. Which is what we see in verses 6 to 20. God pronounces these five woes that, that, the, that the captive nations then in captive to Babylon, will, will take up against the, the, the people who, against the Babylonians. Um, these, these five judgments against five excesses or, or five ways of life of those who stand against God. And some translations say, whoa, whoa. Like, sounds like a horse to me. But, but a better translation is, Alas, alas for those. Or how sorry it will be for those. And I love that because God looks at the wicked and says, Yes, they're going to get their comeuppance, but oh, alas for those people. You see, God's heart is broken by the suffering of the innocents, but he's also heartbroken by the sinfulness of the violators. There's a great quote, I forget who said it, it says, the woes are torn from a broken heart in holy indignation. Jesus does the same thing with the teachers of the law, and in Matthew 23 he says, how sorry it will be on that day for you guys, because you... You refuse to let others see the kingdom. And you're going to get punished for it, but I'm really sorry about that. We can only speak about hell and judgment when we speak with a broken heart. I love that about God. He, he says, Habakkuk, you complain about these people I know. but I'm sorry about it. So what does God see? He says, okay, we've got some, some of these excess sins by the Babylonians, ultimately by all those who stand against God. They, they, they're people who are inordinately, inordinately greedy, verses 6 to 8. Um, he says, okay, they put the bite on people, soon the bite will be put on them, and, and, and there's kind of this tit-for-tat relationship. And he says, okay, verses 9 to 11, they've, they've got this, this hunger to dominate those who who stand against God, those who live for themselves, they, they have to dominate, they have to stand on top. And, and, and there's this picture here in, in verse 9 to 10 of, of how the Babylonians have built their nest high. They've, they've established themselves big like an eagle above. It's quite ironic actually because the Babylonians come from a, a valley place. Babylon is in the midst of a valley and everything's flat. And God says, right, you've tried to build yourself really high. You know what? Not going to work. Um, You've tried to set yourself above any retribution. And, but, but even the stones are going to cry out against you. 
He says in verses 12 to 14 that those Babylon, those who stand against God, those who are wicked, that they're people who commit uh, atrocities. What does he say there? 2.12 Woe to him, or alas for them, who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes his town by crime. Has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labor is only fuel for the fire, that the nations exhaust themselves for nothing? Why? Why? God says, this is so sorry that you guys have, you've done all this stuff thinking that you're going to set yourself fine above all people, but hello? Knowledge of my glory is going to fill all the earth. On the great day of Jesus, we're not going to go and say, wow, Babylon was impressive. You know, when Jesus returns, we're not going to go, United States of America, what a country. Or China, whoa! Australia, oh, mate! We're going to go, God's amazing. This is what God says. These people, they're trying to build themselves up so much, they're, they're putting themselves so high, but you know what's already had, I've already decided everyone's going to look at me. And my glory is going to fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. He goes on, he says, verse 15 to 17, there's, there's debauchery. And, and Babylonians, it seems, had this practice of getting people drunk so that they could look on their nakedness. It was horrible. And God says, well, you know what? Drink of the cup of my wrath. Because I am the God who requires justice. And it's interesting there in verse 7, he says, you know what? I'm going to bring justice not only because of the things you did to people, but because of the way you treated my creation. Wow. That's probably not a message we hear too often in the church, that God, God takes His creation that seriously. And He will pour out His wrath for those who, who destroy it. Verses 18 to 20, He says, People who stand against God, who stand for themselves, who stand tall and proud and arrogant. They're idolaters. The Babylonians built themselves these idols, but, but don't people today build exactly the same idols? Maybe not covered with gold and made, made out of stone or wood, but, but idols of, of their own success or idols of their bank balance or, or idols of their status. God says, have you tried speaking to it recently? Okay, so you've got plenty of money. Well done. You're going to die tonight. How's your money going to help you? And I love the way chapter 2 finishes there with these people clamoring after their man-made idols to speak and to act. And yet they're dead. And all the time, the one who does speak is to be approached in silence. 
So what is God's reply to Habakkuk? He says, Habakkuk, I know, I know, I know, I know the wickedness of the world. I know the wickedness of the Babylonians. I, I know the wickedness of the proud. I know the wickedness of those who stand against me. And I know the things that they've done. And, and there will come a time when they will get their comeuppance and there will be justice because I am a just God. I know, Habakkuk. And, and, and trust me on this. I will do the right thing, Habakkuk. But, but Habakkuk, Remember in verse 13, Habakkuk, he said, How on earth, Lord, can you send a people like that against a people like us? Because we're better than they are. You remember that, Habakkuk? Let's, let's just get something straight, Habakkuk. It's not about which people you belong to. Because I'm just, I, I'm, my glory is going to fill the earth, Habakkuk. Let's just remember one thing, Habakkuk. I am the just God, and if you want to live, if you want to live, if you want to be in relationship with me, Habakkuk, you have to remember the most important verse in the Old Testament, Habakkuk. You have to remember what I say here in chapter 2, the second part of verse 4. The righteous will live by faith. Or the righteous one will live by his faithfulness to God. Habakkuk, you have to to remember this. The righteous, Habakkuk, those whom I have said are right, those whom I have declared to be in the right, those whom I have said have a right standing before me. And by the way, Habakkuk, righteous doesn't mean those who are born into the right family. It's about those who know me. Kind of like you, Habakkuk. Who trust me and question me and and refuse to let go of me. And who have that sort of relationship with me. Someone who's not proud. Verse 4a. the, The opposite of the righteous is the one who is proud and puffed up. Someone who who lives under my leadership, says God. Not someone who's perfect yet. But someone who lives out of the fact that that I'm God and they're my people and we've got this thing going on. That's a righteous person. A righteous person is a person who's got a right relationship with God. And it's about faith. The righteous, by faith, will live. It's about trusting and relying on me. It's about living that out. You see, you're righteous by faith. By faith, you're righteous. And by faith, because you're righteous, that's why you would live. You're really worried about me sending these people. But you know what, Habakkuk, the, the, the question you've got to ask yourself, and you know what, all of us, the question we've got to ask ourselves is, is not anything other than, are we Those who are righteous by faith. Do we trust God? Do we we trust that relationship? And you look, different translations say the righteous by faith will live and some say the righteous one by his faithfulness will live. Because faith isn't just a, oh, I believe. It's, I believe and I will not stop believing and I will live out that belief. 
I will live that out. Habakkuk was, was, was faithful to God. Jeremiah, at the same time, was faithful to God in a society where everyone was, was living for themselves. They said, no, I will not live that way. By faith, the righteous will live. Remember God said this vision, Habakkuk, this vision, verses 4 to 20, this vision, Habakkuk, is about the end. And when I say that the righteous by faith will live, I mean that they will live. And Yes, life with me is, is brilliant no matter what, but you're going to live with me forever because you know me. Habakkuk, Habakkuk lived in a time not dissimilar to ours, in a society where God was more and more being relegated to the sidelines. As Colin mentioned, in America it's happened. New Zealand just passed a bill saying that mankind should defy, define relationships, not God. More and more our world is rejecting God and, and Habakkuk, as he said last week to us, teaches us to ask, how long, Lord? Why don't you act? God's reply today to us is, he said last week, I'm already acting. He says to us this week, I promise. When I say I'm going to act, it's going to happen. says in chapter 2 verse 14 no matter how bad things look now there will come a time when my glory fills the earth as the waters cover the sea as the water fills the sea boy isn't that going to be amazing and God says you know what I'm going to give you a glimpse of this and I'm going to have it written down so that so that several thousand years from now the people at Common Bay Baptist are going to be able to read this and they're going to run with it and they're going to say, you know what, it's been a while, but I, I think God's promise is true. I think that when God says that His glory is going to fill the earth, that's going to happen. I think that when God says that the righteous will live by faith, that's going to happen. Because that's who God is. And, and the only way that I can live, the only way that I can stand, is because of who God is. And because of my relationship with God. And because of the fact that God is faithful. And because of the fact that I trust Him. And because of the fact that He has given me life. And because of what Jesus has done. Because of his faithfulness. Because of his death and his life. So God, says the writer to the Hebrews in chapter 6, so God has given us both his promise and his oath. And these two things are unchangeable because it's impossible for God to lie. And therefore we who have fled to him for refuge, like Habakkuk, can have great confidence as we hold on to the hope that lies before us. What hope? That the righteous will live by faith. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into the inner sanctuary where God is. My brothers and sisters, I pray that 
that we would have the heart of Habakkuk that looks at the world and goes, how can you let this happen, God? But I also pray that we have the hope of Habakkuk that says, you are acting. And I will live a life of faithfulness to you. I, I like that the Jews, the Jewish scholars said that this summarized the Old Testament. Okay, it doesn't include everything, but, but it's a good summary of the gospel as well, doesn't it? The righteous will live by faith. Because of what he's done, because of what he's promised. May you live in faith this week. May you be faithful in all that you do knowing that He has declared you righteous by the blood of His Son, simply by trusting Him. You have got that. May you know life to its fullest now, and for all eternity, may we go wading in the knowledge of the glory of God. Amen.